0: So we're about to spend, let me kind of tell you where, about, where, where we're going to go in the next few weeks. We're going to be in the book of Psalms. We're going to be going through the Psalms for the next about four weeks or so. And today we're in Psalm 113. Uh, we started a few years back, many of you know this, we started a few years back going through periodically, coming through the Psalms, uh, We take little you know, spurts of time and hit a few Psalms, pull back, and we keep doing that. <clears throat> When we first started that, I did a, an introduction into the book as a whole. So I know a lot of you were here for that. So I just want to put a few reminders before us about the book of Psalms as a whole uh, before we move into Psalm 113. Okay, I want you to think about the book of Psalms uh, as a God-breathed hymn book. It's a God-breathed, breathed out words, breathed out by God. But this is His These psalms are uh, often used for corporate worship and they still are today as we sing either themes from the psalms or we actually sing the the words from the psalms themselves. I want you to think about the psalms for just a minute, okay? Uh, The book of psalms, it gives us a lot of insight into how we should think about God and how we should feel about God. You know what I mean by that? In other words, we get sound doctrine from the Psalms. It gives us deep knowledge of the Savior, deep knowledge of God in the Psalms. But it also shows us how the proper way we ought to respond to that knowledge of God. How we ought to respond and worship and and praise. And this is what the book of Psalms is all about. So I want you to think about this. The book of Psalms is an indictment against high thinking about God or deep thinking about God... That does not terminate in in expressions of worship to God. Okay, so so the book of Psalms is an, an indictment against that. The book of Psalms is also an indictment against intense feeling about God. That's not rooted into deep truth or high thinking about God. So it takes these two things in the book of Psalms and it slams them together. So it's a beautiful collision of sound doctrine and how we ought to respond. High thinking about God, intense feeling about God. And we see that slammed together in the book of Psalms. So think about it. We see the truth. We see the truth laid out for us in the book of Psalms. And we also see many biblical expressions of worship, such as. Praise, such as shouts of joy, clapping, glad singing, dancing, solemn reflection, tears of joy, tears of repentance, bowing down on our faces before our God. You see all these responses to the truth flowing out of the book of Psalms. Okay, So what we're going to do is we lean over Psalm 113, this particular psalm. I want to encourage you to engage the truth that is found here. This is the time of worship, right? Or is it, we just finished the time of worship when we sang that last song. We finished the time of worship and now it's time for the Bible, right? I see some heads doing like this. That's not right, right? This whole, we come together to worship the living God. Amen? That's what we're here to do. Worship the living God. So what I want us to do is we're going to lean over. Just like we're singing praises to our God a moment ago. We're about to lean over Psalm 113 together. And I want us to worship the living God over this song. I want you to think about it like this. How thinking about God, intense feeling about God in The book of Psalms. So think about Psalm 113. We lean over it. Don't let these words be just background noise to you. In Hebrews chapter 5, chapter 6, it speaks about a group of people that the things of Jesus became dull of hearing to them. As we look at these truths, don't let it be, don't be dull of hearing, but rather hear these truths. This is not background noise. So we're going to listen to the truth. Don't, don't, uh, Jesus gave a rebuke to some people. He said, you worship that which you do not know. So we don't want to be found guilty of intense feeling about God that's not rooted in the truth and worshiping that which we do not know, as Jesus said in John chapter 4. So the book of Psalms shows us that, that the mindless worshiper, God hates that. He hates the mindless worshiper. But rather, we're going to lean over Psalm 113, so it's not mindless. we got the truth right here before us. So we're looking at truths from God's word, Okay. And yet at the same time, just like he he despises the mindless worshiper, he also despises that emotionless uh, intellectualism, right? And so we're going to lean over the word, but the goal is that we're going to have to worship the King Jesus as we we read and meditate on these words. So let us never be those people that honor God with, with our lips of sound doctrine, but yet our hearts of praise and worship seem to be so far away from Him. Let in our, just like in the book of Psalms, how thinking about God, intense feeling, slams together. Let that happen among us today. Let that happen with us today, okay? I want to give you, an, let me give you an example here Psalm 66, before we even go to Psalm 113. Listen to Psalm 66. I'm going to read verse 1 through 4. I want you to think through. How thinking about God that it expresses itself in all the biblical expressions of worship that I mentioned to you a moment ago. Listen to verse 1. Make a joyful shout to God, all the earth. Sing out the honor of His name. Make His praise glorious. Say to God. So here's the shout. Here it is. Say to God, how awesome are your works. Through the greatness of your power, your enemies shall submit themselves to you. All the earth shall worship you and sing praises to you. They shall sing praises to your name. That's pretty intense, right? He just said there, make his praise glorious. Some of your versions say, give him glorious praise. Don't give him that weak praise. Give him the glorious stuff. And the example that we're given here is shouting and singing. Make a joyful shout to God. When we think about deep thinking about God, expressing itself in biblical acts of worship, I think we could grow in joyful shouting to God. Amen? You think we can grow in that? Shouting to the living God. Think, Think about that for just a moment. You ever been sitting there, you're singing to the living God, you're singing, Jesus, we love you, oh, how we love you. You're the one that our hearts adore, and all of a sudden you find yourself moving from singing to the living God and saying, yes, amen, that's true, you are my God. You ever done that? How could good grow in that. You ever done that in your car? You ever done that in a time of prayer where you begin to be so full of joy over the living God? You begin to shout His praises. Well, Listen, that's, if you're thinking about a time of worship. What about even now? What about over the preaching of God's Word? We lean over Psalm 113. And imagine, that we're leaning over this thing, and we say something. I just happen to say something that's true from God's Word. that's beautiful about God. And you say, Amen! That's right! Yes, God! Yes, Lord! Praise the Lord! Hallelujah! Can that happen in a church meeting? Amen. Amen. We're getting it. We're getting it. Amen. So I want you to think about that. Now, look. Somebody may say, "Oh, that just that just sounds like a distraction." If I shout praises to the living God, it sounds like a distraction. And if it's for yourself and it's selfish and you're, do, you're doing it to be seen, of course, it's a distraction. But I want to give you an example how these things are not distractions when done right. Listen, I was, I was. Praying recently at uh, uh, we we, meet, we were at Jay Gersom's house that's what it was and at Jay Grisham's house there was a group of people gathered together and Jay began to pray and as he began to pray you know he was just thanking God for our time together thanking God for the meal we were about to eat he, that's all he was doing well I found myself you know how very often we say just quit listening to prayers and engage in prayer together you know how we say that often like when Hunter stood up here and prayed a moment ago he wasn't given a prayer performance. We are together saying, yes, Lord, amen. We pray those things, God. We lift those things up to you. We're saying that as a church together. Well, I was not doing that while Jay Grisham was praying. I was zoned out. I was listening to a prayer. I was doing nothing. And all of a sudden behind me, I hear Daniel Charles say, yes, Lord, amen. And it, it woke me up. I said, oh, what am I doing? Yes, God, that's right. And I began to engage in prayer with Jay. So I'm just telling you, this is not always a distraction. You think about something glorious from God's word about God. You are free and welcome to shout back. You get to participate in some way in the speaking when you say, yes, God, amen, praise the living God. So I want you to think about the Psalms like this. This high thinking about God and intense feeling about God. I want to invite you as we lean over this psalm to think deeply. Think about it. Think about your Savior. And I want want to invite you to all the biblical expressions of worship that are found in His Word. Even this one here. Make a joyful shout to God all the earth. Sing out the honor of His name. Make His praise glorious. Let me pray for us and then we're just going to read this psalm. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you so much that we can gather together in your name, Lord. And God, more than anything else, we want to see you. More than anything else, God, we want you and your beauty and your majesty and your goodness and your grace and all these things that describe who you are. We want to see it, Lord. God, we don't want to just see facts on a page. We want to know you. High and lifted up, full of glory. God, we want to know you personally. I pray, God, that you would open our eyes. Help us to see as we open your word right now. Please, God, help us. God, I pray that you would help us to express worship from our hearts over your word. And even worship from our mouths, God, over your word. God, give us shouts of joy. Give us loud singing, Lord. Give us solemn reflection over you, God. Give us tears of repentance and tears of joy. God, fill our hearts, Lord. Let us not, please God, let us not be those who honor you with our lips of sound doctrine, but our hearts be far from you. God, draw us in right now, Lord, please. God, we're going to read your word. Thank you for your word. Draw us in to see you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Psalm 113. Read this with me. Get your eyes on it. Praise the Lord. Praise, O servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. From the rising of the sun to its going down, the Lord's name is to be praised. The Lord is high above all nations. His glory above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God who dwells on high? who humbles himself to behold the things that are in the heavens and in the earth. He raises the poor out of the dust and lifts the needy out of the ash heap, that he may seed him with princes, with the princes of his people. He grants the barren woman a home like a joyful mother of children. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. You can take this psalm and you can divide it up into two main sections here. Verse 1 through 3. Is a call to worship. And verses 4 through 9 are the causes for worship. So the first three verses, call us in. Come on, let's praise the living God. And the last section, verses 4 through 9, say, hey, here's why you can worship your God. Uh, Quick, interesting detail. Many people call Psalm 113 to 118. It's been called the Egyptian Hillel. And and these are the Psalms that you you would think about. And I'll tell you why I'm saying this that you would hear people singing during the Passover, okay? They would sing these songs. So like when Jesus and the disciples uh, did the Passover and it says, and then they sang a hymn. Can you imagine that? Can you get a picture of that? Of Jesus, the Savior and the Lord singing Psalm 113 with His disciples just before He goes to the cross. Praise the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord for this time, this time for and forevermore. Who is like our God? Can you imagine Him singing that song? So let's begin right there, verses 1 through 3. I want you to hear the call to worship in verse 1 through 3. Hear the call to worship and be a true worshiper of the living God. In Psalm 113, verse 1 through 3, we see the what, the who, the when, the where, and the why of worship. Okay, so first thing, what? What are we to do? Verse 1 says, praise the Lord. It's hallelujah is that word. And it begins and ends that way. Verse 1 and verse 9. Look at the very beginning of the psalm. Very end of the psalm like bookends. Praise the Lord. This is also the bookends of the Bible. Genesis chapter 1. And at the very end in Revelation. you got the creation and the recreation. Right? God created all things for His glory. For His praise. For His worship. And then He recreates all things for His glory. Praise and worship. And we get a glimpse into heaven in Revelation. It's the bookends of the Bible. It's just praise The Lord. I want you to think about worship and praise to God and glorifying God for just a moment. Just think about this. What is the purpose for which you were created? What is the purpose for which you exist? Think about that. Why were you created? What if you had to answer that question? Why were you created? Why do you exist? Why were you put on planet Earth? Why is there breath in your lungs? Isaiah 43, verse 7 says, My people who are called by my name, whom I have created for my glory. You know it's not about us, right? But that verse just said, we are created. What? What's the purpose of your creation? For His glory. For His glory. That's Isaiah 43, verse 7. Verse 21, just a few verses later, says, says, This people I made for myself, they shall declare my praise. We're created for His glory. A.K.A. We are created to declare His praise. We're created to do what's at the very beginning of the psalm and the very end of the psalm and everything in between. We're created to praise the Lord. Do you feel that? Do you see that? What about your salvation? Why did God save you? Are you saved here? Why did God save you? Ephesians chapter 1, you can read verse 6 and verse 12 and verse 14, and it describes our salvation chosen in Him before the foundation of the world, adopted, and it says the reason at the very end in verse 6 it says, To the praise of His glorious grace! Why were we created? Why? Why did He save us? It says, To the praise of His glorious grace. You realize it wasn't about you, it wasn't about me, but it's about His glorious grace being put on display. That's in Ephesians 1, 6. And go down a little bit lower in verse 12. It says it again. Why did God save us? To the praise of His glory. Verse 14. Why did God save us? To the praise of His glory. Chapter 2, verse 7 of Ephesians says the same thing. That God saved us. That His grace might be made known. Do you feel that? That that we were created. We exist. We were saved. For the glory and worship. And hallelujah praise to the King. This is the reason you exist. Let that sit on you. Feel the weight of that. I want you to think about this. The purpose for all things. Not even just you, but the purpose for everything. What is the purpose for all things? Romans eleven thirty six 36 says, From Him and through Him and to Him are all things to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. 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 To Him be the glory. To Him be the glory, to Him be the praise. It's the idea. So, once you think about your worldview for a minute, is your worldview man centered or God centered? Is it man centered or is it God centered? In other words, when you think about the reason that you have breath in your lungs, the reason that you exist, does your heart cry out, I exist for the living God's praise, for His worship, for His glory? Does your heart say that? When you think about evangelism, Or missions You think about taking the gospel to other places. Is the only reason you want to preach the gospel. Is so that that poor soul doesn't go to hell. Now don't get me wrong. That's a good motivation right. We're motivated by. We don't want people to go to hell. So we give them the gospel. But according to God's word. It's not the ultimate motivation. The ultimate motivation at the deepest level. Is we take the gospel out to the nations. And into our neighborhoods. So that Jesus is magnified. So that he's glorified in those people who turn to him. You understand that? What about when you pray? Your deepest place of prayer, when you in your prayer life, is this is your prayer life man centered or God centered? Is your prayer life only about me and my stuff and what I can get? It's all about me and my hurts and my pains. Or at the very beginning of your prayer life, at the very initial heart response, is it our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Holy, let your name be holy. Let your name be glorified, God. Is that at the heart of your prayer life? When you wake up and you read your Bible or when you showed up this morning, why are you here? Why? Why did you come here? Is it about you? Is it about others around you? Or is this, I want to praise the living God. I want to worship Him. I want to glorify Him. Is your worldview man-centered? Or is it God-centered? Just think about that. I want everybody here to move into this God-centeredness. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. That's what this song is all about. Listen. Listen to me. When you think about worship... When you think about praise the Lord. It's a big deal because it's the reason you exist. I want you to think about your mouth and, excuse me, I want you to think about your heart and your mouth. I want you to think about your heart and your mouth. True, real worship involves your heart and it involves your mouth. It involves both of these, okay? Just because you show up at a worship service does not make you a true worshiper. It doesn't mean you're worshiping God. But the worship of the living God, remember the reason for which you're created, involves your heart. And then it flows out of your mouth. And I say your heart. Here's what I mean. Think about Jesus' word. They honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. God is most glorified and is most praised in his saints. When our hearts are aflame for him. When our hearts are ablaze for him. When our hearts explode. Praise to the living God. This is when he's the most glorified. And then I want you to think about your mouth. Think about your mouth because the reality is a heart that's a place where God is hardly ever content to keep to itself. A heart that's a place where God, it's like the heart sends messages to the mouth of the true worshiper. It says, Yes, praise to the living God. I want to worship His holy name. I want to bless His name forever and ever. Let me give you a couple of verses to think about on that Psalm 35, verse 27. Listen. Let them shout for joy and be glad who favor my righteous cause. Is that you? You favor his righteous cause? Well, listen to this. Listen to what it tells you to do. Let them say. it's speaking is coming out the mouth. Let them say continually. Let the Lord be magnified who has pleasure in the prosperity of his servant. Do you hear that? Let them say it. What does that sound like? Let the Lord be magnified. What does that sound like? That sounds like praise the Lord. It sounds like hallelujah. Let them you favor His righteous cause. Then let your mouth continually say praise to the living God. Let the Lord be magnified. It's heart worship flowing out of the mouth. Turn to Psalm 40. Verse 16, listen. Let all those who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. Let such as love your salvation, is that you? You love his salvation? Listen. Let them say continually, the Lord be magnified. Sounds like praise to the living God. I want to encourage you in that. To think through. You, you're created for the glory. And exaltation of God. It's the reason you were saved. It's the reason all things exist. Let your heart be ablaze for this God. And let it come out of your lips. Bless the Lord forevermore. Now let's go to that next question. That's what we should do. We should praise God. We should worship Him. Who? Who should praise the Lord? Look at verse 1. Who should praise the Lord? Praise, O servants of the Lord. Praise, O servants of the Lord. This means everyone on planet earth that belongs to God. If you're a servant of the Lord, listen. Praise the Lord. Praise, O servants of the Lord. If you belong to Him, you are His. You are redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. The command here is you have an ultimate purpose, which is to worship the living God. You have that purpose set before you. If you're a servant of God. Now the reality is there's people that hate God. There's people that reject God. There's no doubt. And God still gets His glory there too. Even in those who reject Him. Even in those who hate Him. Psalm 9.16 says He is known by the judgment He executes. When He rains down His righteous judgment. His righteous wrath on those who never come to Him. Those who flee from Him. When He does that He is glorified as the just God of the universe. But that's not what this is talking about here. This is saying, oh, servants of the Lord, there's a special privilege and a special duty for us as the servants of God to praise him. Think of first Peter two nine. He says, you're a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people to do what? To proclaim the praises of him who called us out of darkness and into to his marvelous light set aside to praise God. The living God. And and we need to note at this point. Let me note this for everybody here. It is possible for you. As a servant of God. To receive so much from God. So much Just receive And you receive. And you receive blessing. And you even see some of the blessings you receive. You you realize you receive so much from God. And yet it not terminate. In what you were ultimately created to do. Namely worship God. Remember Luke 17. You got 10 lepers and they came before Jesus and said, oh, Jesus, they they bowed down before him. And he said, he said, go to the priest and be healed. Go tell him, go tell him what's happened and go be healed. And as they walked to that priest, as they walked away from Jesus, Jesus healed them all. They received from Jesus. And yet just a little time later, it says, how many of them came back? One. One came back, and it says he came back, and he came before Jesus, and he fell down on his face, and he gave glory to God and thanks to Jesus Christ. And imagine him there, bowed down, doing what he's created to do in that moment, hearts ablaze for Christ and worshiping his holy name. Imagine that, and then Jesus looks at him and he says, were there not ten? Were there not ten Did only one returned to give glory to God? It's possible for you to receive from the living God. And yet it not terminate in praise and worship to the King of glory. And I say, not for us. Let's not let that happen to us. Rather, listen to what it says. Praise, O servants of the Lord. Praise Him. When should He be praised? Look at verse 2. When should He be praised? Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. So now, He should be praised. In eternity, He should be praised. and Every time in between, God is to be praised. Through the good, through the bad, through the, the, the amazing things, through the mundane things of life, everything. Our God is worthy of praise. Right now, over God's Word, He is worthy of your praise. When you walk out of this room in a moment, you speak to one another. God is worthy of praise. Next week, He's worthy of praise. He's to be praised from this time forth and forevermore, it says. I want, to encourage, I want to encourage you to fight. Fight to make this a pattern of your life that you praise Him continually. Listen, I want to just quote a verse to you. Don't think it too radical for your life. Listen, Psalm 34, verse 1. It says, I will bless... The Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. I want to set my life toward that. I want to be praising my living God. All day. Every day. I want to praise Him when it's hard. Praise Him when it's good. Praise Him in different ways. All the biblical expressions of praise and worship. I want to give that to Him. I'll bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. I don't feel like that's hitting us right. Let me give you another verse. Psalm 35 verse 28. Listen to this one. My tongue shall speak of your righteousness and of your praise all the day long. Man, I had somebody ask me recently about evangelism and how you get those conversations started. How do you get evangelism conversations started? How do you... How do you do that? Somebody asked me that. And one of the things, as me and another brother were talking about it was, I know there's different ways to get those evangelism conversations started. I'm not giving you, here's one sure way. You know, it happens in different ways. But here's one thing I know for sure. that as we as His servants have hearts to praise the living God. Our hearts ablaze and it's coming out of our mouth. Those conversations tend to come. We don't look at the sky the same way the world does. We look up at the glory of the stars and our mouths say, Praise the living God who created that. And lost people say, What did you say? <laughs> Psalm 71, just in case it's not hitting us. Look at Psalm 71. Listen. Continually, continually. Listen, listen to verse. Psalm 71, verse 14 and 15. I love this. I will hope continually. And I will praise you yet more and more. You say, I'm already praising God. Praise Him more. More and more, it says. Verse 15 My mouth shall tell of your righteousness and your salvation all the day, for I do not know their limits. I'm never running out of reasons to praise the living God, and neither are you. And so there's this call to worship God. I want you to think about this. Whenever we enter into worship of the living God, whether it's privately or whether it's corporately, we are all we're doing is joining in on an everlasting chorus. All we're doing is joining in, entering in to unceasing praise to the living God that is already going on right now. Did you know that? I mean, even outside of this room. And I don't even mean humanly speaking. If you go read Job 38 and God's asking Job, he's saying, Job, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? And then God tells him about the angels. And the angels were there when he was laying the foundations of the earth. And it says they were shouting for joy and singing praises to God. And that began way back then. And then listen, listen, Revelation chapter 4, it's still going. It It is unceasing praise. Revelation 4, verse 8. The four living creatures, each having six wings, were full of eyes around and within, and they do not rest day or night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to Him, who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before Him, who sits on the throne, and worship Him, who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne, saying, you are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things. And by your will, they exist and were created. And when we worship God, we enter in to what's already happened in the heavenly places. We get to worship God. And this is the reason that we actually exist. What about the where? Where should God be praised? Look at verse 3. From the rising of the sun to its going down, the Lord's name is to be praised. So where should he be praised? From the rising of the sun. Think about earth. To its going down. Think about the earth spinning. From the rising of the sun. It's from one side of the earth to the other side of the earth. The Lord's name is to be praised. So where should God be praised? Everywhere. All over the planet. Listen. Listen to Malachi. Malachi chapter one verse eleven uses the same phrase. Listen. Malachi one eleven says this for from the rising of the sun, it's one side of the earth, even to its going down, my name shall be great among the nations. In every place, that's from the rising of the sun to the go, it's going down. In every place, incense shall be offered to my name, a pure offering. My name shall be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. Every nation, tribe, and tongue on planet earth, God is worthy of worship. He's worthy of praise. And that's where you should be praised. What you think about it. This is the reason... For Genesis chapter 1. So this, this ultimate purpose of God being glorified at all times and every place. That ultimate purpose. That's the reason Genesis chapter 1. It says God created man in his own image. And he said, hey man, created in my image. Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. A.k.a. fill the earth with my glory. Fill the earth with my image. It's the reason for the great commission. This desire, this ultimate purpose this ultimate aim that God be glorified in every nation, in tri- nation, tribe, and tongue from the rising of the sun to the setting of the same. That that desire is the reason for the Great Commission in Matthew 28. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. Or Acts 1.8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. See, the root of That lies underneath that command that is on every single one of us that's in Christ. Is this. Let God's name be praised from the rising of the sun until it's going down. Therefore, what do we do? We make disciples. And we make disciples of all the nations. As individuals, we got to be all about this. As individuals all across the room, if you're here and you're in Christ, from the back of the room to the front of the room, we're leaned over this psalm, we're thinking about these truths. Listen, you must be all about this desire. I want my God to be praised everywhere on the planet. And therefore, your life needs to be full of how can I do it? How can I share the gospel of Jesus Christ? How can I make disciples of all nations like Jesus has said? And as a church, this must be our aim. We got this desire, deep rooted, right, God, that you would be praised from the rising of the sun until it's going down. And this desire is within us. And as a church, what do we do? What do we do, man? We got to get to the hungry people groups on planet Earth. We got to send out missionaries. You're either a goer or you're a sender. There is no third category. We're just going, sending. Nations are on our mind. God being worshipped on every every nook and cranny of the planet. Amen. Grace Community Church wants to go after that, right? And this is what it's rooted in right here. In verse 3, from the rising of the sun to its going down, the name of the Lord shall be praised. By the way, that's going to be fulfilled. You know that, right? I see some smiles. Amen. It's going to be fulfilled. Matthew twenty four fourteen. he said that, right? He said this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the earth as a testimony to all nations. Then the end will come. That's coming. I just want to get on board. Last question: Why should God be praised? Why should God be praised? Notice, I want you to think about the name of the Lord. The name that phrase, the name of the Lord, is repeated in every one of these verses in Psalm or in all three of these first three verses in Psalm one thirteen. Look at verse one. The last phrase: Praise the name of the Lord. Why should he be praised? His name. Look at verse 2. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Verse 3. The Lord's name is to be praised. So why should he be praised? Why? Because of his name. And here's see, the name of the Lord does not mean those, you know, the consonants and the, the vowels but that make up his title or what we call him. That's not what it means when it says the name of the Lord. Saying the name of God is equivalent to saying because of God himself, the name of the Lord is who God has expressed himself to be. Who has God revealed himself to be to us? Think about Moses in Exodus 34. And God says to Moses, I'm going to come. I'm going to pass before you, Moses, and I'm going to proclaim the name of the Lord. And then what does he say to Moses? He says, says, compassionate, long-suffering, God of justice, God of mercy, God of forgiveness. He expresses who He is to Moses. This is the name of God, who God has revealed Himself to be. So why do we praise Him? Because of who He is. Because of the name of the Lord. Think about another verse for that. 2 Samuel 7, 23. It says that God had made a name for Himself by mighty deeds. God made a name for himself by mighty deeds. Think about Proverbs 18:10. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and they're saved. The name of the Lord. Now, if that just means you know, consonants and vows and in the title that we give him, that's where you get some of the silly stuff about well, just if you get in trouble, just chant Jesus over and over and over again. It's not what he's talking about. The name of the Lord. Who he has shown himself to be. He is creator of the cosmos. He's the glorious one. The majestic one. The merciful one. He's the God who routed armies and parted the Red Sea. This is the name of the Lord. And so he says, praise him for his name. His name. The Lord's name. And so what happens in verse 4 through 9. You see verses 1 through 3. We got a call. Come on. Worship God. Praise the name of the Lord. And in verse 4 through 9, we get some specifics about what His name is. In particular, we get two particular characteristics about the name of God. So we're about to look at a couple of reasons why we should praise God. Which means you're about to get a chance to do what I said just a moment ago. About worshiping the living God. Did you, you're about to get a chance to, you know, maybe even shout some joy of who God is. We're about to look at it. He's about to say, hey, this is why He's worthy of your praise. And we're going to read it and lean over it for just a minute. Verse 4 through 6 is going to give us one of those characteristics and verse 7 through 9 is going to give us the other one. Okay, And what you're going to see is verse 4 through 6 is, is God is high above all things. He is the most high. And then you're going to see in verse 7 through 9. Oh, he re- but He reaches to the lowest place. He reaches down to the lowly. That's so what you're going to see in these verses. Look at verse 4 through 6. The Lord is high above all nations. His glory above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God? Who dwells on high? Who humbles Himself to behold the things that are in the heavens and, and that are in the earth? That's the transcendence of God. He is beyond us. He's amazing. And then watch him dip down into the God who is the most high. is also the God that reaches to the lowest. Look at verse 7. He raises the poor out of the dust. He lifts the needy out of the ash heap that he might seat him with princes. With the princes of his people. He grants the barren woman a home like a joyful mother of children. Praise the Lord. Think about this contrast. The most high God who reaches to the lowest place. Think about it. He's the trans, trans... Transcendent, I could say a transcendent God, and yet He's an imminent God. I mean, He's far off, and yet He is very, very near. He's the all powerful God, and yet He's completely personal at the same time. God is far beyond us, and yet He is right. Before us. He's the most high who reaches to the lowest place. He's the this is the, the greatness of God and the graciousness of God, the majesty of God and the mercy of God coming together right here. He's the sovereign savior who stoops down to his simple servants. He's the creator of the cosmos who is also the compassionate king. He's both of these things in contrast. We see this clearly in the life of Christ, do we not? Think about Christ. The same one who gets on that boat. After walking on the water. He gets on that boat. He's he's there. And and, and his disciples are afraid before him. They are afraid of this man Jesus Christ. Because he is glorious beyond what they can see. And imagine that same one. He's the one that stops hurricanes with the word of his mouth. He says peace be still. And it stops. That majestic transcendent God. That God Jesus Christ. Is the same one that weeps with those who weep. You remember that? He's on the way. What you think about this for a minute? He's on the way to see Lazarus, who's dead in the tomb. And Lazarus' sisters are weeping, crying. Remember that? And Jesus knows he's about to raise him from the dead. He knows that. Yet he doesn't look over to her and say, Hey, uh, chill out with that crying there, because I'm about to raise him up. No reason to cry, sister, no reason. He doesn't do that. He begins to weep with her. The same one that raises the dead is the one that weeps for those who weep. And this is the contrast that we see in this verse. So let's start off with the most uh, verse four through six. He is the most high God. He's beyond us. We can't comprehend him. We cannot contain him. If you try to describe the the splendor of God in this way, that the majesty of God. You try to use earthly examples, right? But earthly examples just don't cut it. So think about it like this. Like if I said, take take a grain of sand and put it right up next to what? The earth? How about the whole solar system? A grain of sand next to the whole solar system. And that gap that you see in size does not begin to describe the gap that lies in God's wisdom. His infinite wisdom compared to our limited wisdom. It doesn't even start to describe it. So earthly examples, they all fall short. If you think about a, a little child's whisper. Imagine a little child's whisper. And then yesterday I was hearing those chest-thumping thunderclaps from heaven. They were going off at my house. And you compare that little whisper to that booming thunderclap from God. And that, that gap between those two things... Does not even begin to describe the gap between our limited power and the infinite power of God. It's not even close. So, how do you describe the most high God? Melchizedek said it like this in Genesis 14. He said, God most high, possessor of heaven and earth. God most high, he possesses something, he possesses heaven. He possesses earth. Listen, this is how it says it in our song. So in verse 4, look, look at verse 4. The Lord is high. He's the most high. He's the most high. He's high above all nations. He's above all nations. Think about this for a minute. If all the nations of the earth agree together against God, there are foolish people on this earth that will go with that counsel of the world. But I'm saying don't do it, because listen, think about Psalm 2 for just a moment. In Psalm chapter 2 it says, it says all the rulers of the earth and all the kings of the earth and all the nations and all the peoples, they gather themselves against God, against the Lord and against His Christ. And what's God doing in the next verse in Psalm 2? Is He, is he wringing His hands, worried? It says, He who sits in the heavens laughs. All the nations gather together against Him and He who sits in the heavens last. What if all the nations gathered together an army, an army, all the nations army to go against God and against God's people? What do you think is going to happen? I can tell you exactly what's going to happen. Revelation chapter 20 says this, verse seven, when the thousand years had expired, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations, which are in the four corners of the earth. To gather them together to battle. Whose number is as the sand of the sea. Well, listen to that army. I bet God's nervous now. They went up on the breadth of the earth. And they surrounded the camp of the saints. The beloved city. And here's the most most anticlimactic verse you've ever read in the Bible. And fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. Done. All the nations, God, the Lord our God is high above all nations. You know, God has, has raised up godly leaders of nations all throughout history. But but I want you to think about this. Even, even the evil ones. You know, even the wicked leaders that are anti-God and hate God. You know, they, even they're like puppets in his hands. Do you realize that? I'll give you a few to think about. Think about Pharaoh. Remember Pharaoh? Hated God will not let God's people go. And he won't do it. He stands against God. He worships false God. And look at what he says about it in Exodus nine sixteen. He says this to Pharaoh. But indeed, for this purpose, I have raised you up, Pharaoh, that I may show my power in you. And that my name might be declared in all the earth like a puppet in his hand. Or what about the king of Assyria? You remember him? The king of Assyria Assyria is the one that took Israel captive, took God's people captive, not realizing that God was actually using him like a tool in his hand. And that's what he says over in Isaiah chapter 10. He says, Listen, Isaiah prophesied of them. He's walking around like he did this. But you go tell him that he's a tool in my hand, and should not should the axe boast against the one who uses the axe? Or what about Nebuchadnezzar? You get this picture in Daniel 4 of Nebuchadnezzar. I mean, this guy has, has ruled a, a massive chunk of the earth. And he's ruling over the earth in Daniel chapter 4. And all of a sudden, he gets his dream that scares him to death. And in this dream, here's what ends up happening. And, and it happens in reality that Nebuchadnezzar stands up one day and says, Look at all my kingdom, which I have built with my hands. And in a moment, he's eating grass like a beast of the field. And God humbles him. And the end note of that is that even Nebuchadnezzar himself stands up and says, Daniel, he's got a God who is the most high God, possessor of heaven and the earth. Our God is high above the nations. And if you're wondering, that means the American nation too. It goes on to say, and his glory above the heavens. I want you to think about that. We're thinking about this characteristic of God. He's the most high God, transcendent God. This is our God. His glory is above the heavens. You imagine the psalmist, you know, in in a clear, beautiful night. He's gazing up. He sees the stars and he sees the moon. And all of a sudden he's going, man, I am so small. I am so gloriously small. And then he sings out, oh, God, your glory is high above the heavens. Think about the glory of the heavens for a minute. Very quickly. Anybody know the speed of light? Nobody. (laughs) Nobody. 186,000 miles per hour. 186,000 miles per second. That's eight times around the earth in one second. Let that sit in. Eight times around the earth in one second. Now, not around the earth, but imagine straight out. It just keeps going. The speed of light just keeps going out. Go, 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 go. For not one second, not one minute, not one hour, but for a year. How far is that? That's called a light year. It's called a light year. They had to make it up because these distances in the universe and in the heavens is so massive. They had to think of some kind of large measurement system that they could use to measure something. So you got a light year, 186,000 miles Per second for a whole year, and however long that is, is one light year. And I want you to think about this: to get to we live in a galaxy called the Milky Way, and to get to the center of it from where we are, it would take it's, it's thirty three thousand light years away. So, speed of light, one hundred eighty six thousand miles per second, for thirty three thousand years, and you land at the middle of our galaxy called the Milky Way, which is one of billions of galaxies in the universe. There's a group outside of us, they call it the the local group. The local group, which is like 50 something, 50 or so galaxies. It's called the local group. And to go from one side to the other at the speed of light would take 2 million years. And that's just a little blip in the universe. Just a blip. His glory is, because are you amazed by that? His glory is above the heavens. We just have to use petty little stuff like the universe just so we can try to fathom who He is. That's why the heavens were created. The heavens declare the glory of God. He made it unfathomable to us so that we could go, man, look at our God. Look at how glorious He is. This is from an article about a a well-known explorer named William Beebe. I think that's how you say his name. Listen to this. William Beebe was a worldwide explorer and a friend of President Theodore Roosevelt. Often when he visited the president, the two men would go outdoors at night to see who could first locate the Andromeda Galaxy. Then as they gazed at the tiny smudge of distant starlight, one of them would recite this. That is the spiral galaxy Andromeda. It is as large as our Milky Way. It's one of 100 million galaxies. It is 750,000 light years away. It consists of 100 billion suns, each larger than our sun. And after that it sunk in, Roosevelt would flash his toothy grin and say, Now I think we're small enough. Let's go to bed. So when you see this, when you realize the glory of the heavens, you feel gloriously small. When you realize the glory of God, which ab- which is above the heavens, you feel gloriously small. You begin to do things, maybe like King. Think, think about King Solomon, First Kings eight twenty seven. I mean, what King Solomon just built the temple? This is massive, right? He just built the temple of God, the dwelling place of God in Israel. He just built it. And he backs it away from it, and he says, in verse twenty seven, he says. Heaven and the heaven of heavens cannot contain you. How much less this temple which I've built? You feel gloriously small. I don't care who you are. And you might even begin to ask things like the next verse. Look at verse 5. Psalm 113, verse 5. Who is like the Lord our God? I love that. His glory is above all nations, His glory is above the heavens. Who's like the Lord our God? This psalmist is not the first person to ask this question in the Bible. We've got this question asked many times. Listen to Moses in Exodus 15. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders? Or David said it in Psalm 35. Listen, all my bones shall say, Lord, who is like you? Delivering the poor from him who is too strong for him. What about Ethan, the Ezraite, in Psalm 89? He says, O Lord of hosts, who is mighty like you, O Lord? Your faithfulness also surrounds you. You rule the raging of the sea. When its waves rise, you steal them. The prophet Micah said in Micah 7.18, who is, who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression of the remnant of his heritage? Who is like the Lord our God? Who's like him? Anybody got an answer? No one. No one is like (laughs) me. Verse 5 and 6, right here, verse 5 and 6 in Psalm 113, we start to see that beautiful contrast again. It's kind of the beginnings of that contrast. Okay? So, for example, look at verse 5. He says, The question is, Who is like you, O God? And then you get two things. Who dwells on high? He dwells on high. He's the most high. He dwells on high. And then here's the second thing. Who humbles himself or who stoops. The S.B. says he looks far down. Okay. I think the best translation is he humbles. He humbles himself to behold the things that are in the heavens and in the earth. So here's this contrast here that you got God who dwells or who is seated on high, who looks far down to behold the heavens and the earth. It's a beautiful contrast, and in a sense, it shows it again shows us the majesty of God. Think about that—the God who is so majestic, He's so high and lofty that He must stoop down to behold the heavens I just described. To you. He must humble Himself just to look at, it. just to look at those heavens. And so, what this is telling us to do is saying. Lift up your eyes to God's greatness and God's mercy. And listen, focus in on the fact that this is the God who humbles himself to look upon the earth. We see something like this in Revelation chapter 1. right? Remember John runs in to to Jesus glorified in Revelation chapter 1. And he sees that his countenance is shining like the sun. His eyes like a flame of fire. And John falls on his face as dead. I'm seeing Jesus right now. And that same one before whom he fell as dead. Is the one that reaches over and touches him and says don't be afraid. And he stands him up. It's the glory of his greatness. And also God's grace here. Spurgeon said it like this. He said, The clouds are the dust of His feet, and sun, moon, and stars twinkle far below His throne. Love that. I can't help, I know I say this verse often, but I can't help it. When I hear something like this about this glorious God who, who actually be- humbles Himself to behold the earth. I always think of Psalm 8, verse 3. When I consider your heavens... The work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained. What is man? What is man? What is man that you're mindful of him? But this is our God. This is what He's like. Let me do. I, mean, I want to move on to His, not just His majesty, but the display of His mercy in verses seven through nine. But before I do this, I'm gonna, I want to. want to read something to you from Isaiah 40. You don't have to turn it because I want you to listen. Isaiah 40 does something similar where it lifts up the majesty of God and then it comes down into the eminence of God that He is near us. The far off one is near us. Just listen. He's telling Isaiah and here, he's saying, he's saying, behold your God. In Isaiah 40 verse 9, behold your God. Look at your God. Listen to the kind of thing he says, who has measured the waters in the hollow of His hand. Is he trying to tell you? He's measured the heavens with a span. So width of his hand, everything I just described to you a moment ago. He calculated the dust of the earth in a measure. He weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance. Who has directed the spirit of the Lord or who or as his counselor has taught him? Who has taught him? With whom did God take counsel? And who instructed him? And taught him in the path of justice? Who taught him knowledge? And showed him the way of understanding? Behold, the nations are as a drop in a bucket. And are counted as a small dust on the scales. Look, he lifts up the owls as a very little thing. All nations before him are as nothing. They are counted by him less than nothing and worthless. To whom then will you liken God? Or what likeness will you compare to Him? He goes on to describe these people making these molded images and and, and this casting this gold and making these gods. And he said, how ridiculous is this? The creator of the heavens and you're making these little things. And I say the same thing to us about every idol that we could put before God. It's crazy. Do you understand that God would talk about Verse 21, have you not known? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers. Who stretches out the heavens like a curtain, spreads them out like a tent to dwell in. He brings the princes to nothing. He makes the judges of the earth useless. Listen to it. To whom then will you liken me? To whom then will you liken me? Or to whom shall I be equal? Says the Holy One. Lift your eyes on high. And He's saying lift up your eyes to the heavens. Look at the stars. Look at those heavenly bodies. He says and see who has created these things. Who brings out their host by number. He calls them all by name. By the greatness of His might. And the strength of His power. Not one is missing. Why do you say, fail Jacob? Why do you speak, O Israel, and say, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my just claim is passed over by my God? You're nuts. It's not passed over. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, never faints, nor is weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives, listen to him, turn the corner. He gives power to the weak. And to those who have no might, he increases strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary. And the young men shall utterly fall. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Praise that God. Majesty, splendor, glory. And yet, he humbles himself to behold the heavens and the earth. So let's turn to verse... Let's go to verse 7 through 9. Verse 7 through 9. Listen to the first part again. He raises the poor out of the dust and lifts the needy out of the ashes. The Most High lowers Himself not only to behold the earth. Not only to look upon the earth. He humbles humbles himself not just to look on it. But to reach down to the poor. And the needy. And the lowliest of all. And rip them out of the ashes. Isaiah 57.15 says. Thus says the high and lofty one. Who inhabits eternity. I dwell in a high and holy place. With him who is of a humble spirit. To revive the spirit of the humble. Of the crushed ones. This is our God. Think about it. This is what God is like. God humbles himself, according to this verse, to care for the physically poor and needy. He humbles himself. This is the heart of God. To care for the physically poor and needy. We see this in God's law. You know, there was a law in Israel. Where they, said, they said, look, when you go reap the harvest of your field, when you go glean that harvest, don't glean the edges. Leave that for the poor and needy. We see it in the heart of God. We see it in the heart of God. And even in His law in the Old Testament. our God cares for the physically poor and needy. We see it in Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus is God in the flesh that came on a rescue mission to save us. And in His life, we see God who cares for the poor and needy. Think about blind Bartimaeus. Remember that in Mark chapter 10? Blind Bartimaeus is there and he hears. He just hears it. Something's happening in front of him. Can't see. He's a beggar by the roadside. And he's a beggar. He's sitting there begging. And, and people are going by. He says, what's happening here? What's going on here? They said, Jesus of Nazareth is going by. Jesus of Nazareth is going by. And he begins to cry out. Son of David, have mercy on me. Son of David, have mercy on me. Everybody in the crowd says, shut up, Bartimaeus. Be quiet. You're embarrassing us. Be quiet. Stop speaking. No compassion for him. Jesus says, let him come to me. Call him to me. I want him by my side. Come bring him to me. And he heals him of his sight. And blind Bartimaeus follows Jesus. What about, remember the pool of Bethesda? Remember that? You got that guy by the pool of Bethesda? He's been laying there for, what was it, 38 years? He's wrong, but in his mind he thinks, if I can just get down in that pool before everybody else does, when the angel touches, I'll be healed. He's been laying there year after year after year. Nobody cares. The moment he goes to put himself in, somebody steps down before him because he can't get in on his own. Nobody would put him in. Christ Jesus comes to him and he calls him to himself. He cares for the poor and needy. That's our God. The highest of high, the, the most high God does that. God demonstrates his heart for the poor in his church. That should be an encouragement and challenge to us all. In Galatians 2.10, when when Peter, James, and John were seen to be pillars, when they were sending Paul out with the right hand of fellowship, they said, They desired only this, Paul, we desire only this, that you remember the poor, the very thing which I was eager to do. That should be a challenge and a push for us. That we are people, we want to put on display the heart of the living God as we care for the poor and needy. As we humble ourselves. Verse 8 says, that he may seat him with princes, with the princes of his people. I can't, when I read that, that he might seat him with princes, I can't help but think about, well, who do you think I think about? Anybody? Huh? Thought I heard it. Mephibosheth. You know Mephibosheth? You can read about him over in Second Samuel chapter nine. You got this guy who comes. You got King David, who's you know it's this Christ figure, right? So we're going to see the heart of God in King David as a Christ figure, and, and, he, and he looks at this man who's been crippled, he's poor and he's needy, and he can't fend for himself, and he's broken. And, he, and, and King David says, "I'm going to show kindness to him." I want to show kindness to him. He says, call him to me. And this man comes to King David and says, what do you want with a dead dog like me? Why do you want a dead dog like me, King David? And he says, for the rest of your days, you're going to eat from the king's table. Seat him with princes. Seat him with the princes of his people. Now think about us. Think about us. Poor and needy. Seated with the king of the Lord to see Him face to face. Which brings us to this. Our God humbles Himself not only to care for the physically poor and needy, but to care also for the spiritually poor and needy. you realize that? You can have a a spiritual... uh, When you think poor and needy here in verse 7, I want you to think spiritually poor and needy as well. You say, well, who is that? Who's the spiritually poor and needy on planet earth? Where are they at? It's all of us. All of us. Every one of us are not little sinners. Every single one of us have rebelled against almighty God. Every one of us have broken his commandments. Every one of us has spit in his face as we turn away from his law. And we love other things, created things, more than the creator of the universe. We're crazy. Why? We worship these false gods. And yet we do. So every one of us are the spiritually poor, needy, and just like God humbles Himself not only to gaze upon us, but He humbles Himself to reach a hand of mercy to the poor, needy. So God Almighty has condescended to us. Do you realize that He not only looked on us with love and compassion, but He came. He came. The, the transcendent God of glory, this God became a man. And he could have came as a warrior king. And yet he comes as a baby. Humbled himself even more so. As a baby into this earth. He comes as a child. And this baby is, is Christ Jesus the Lord. He becomes the man Christ Jesus. And not only does he become a man. But he humbles himself. He, he condescends even, even lower. Even further into the dirt. And then he dies for sinners like us. And even more humble than that, He dies for us on the cross. A humiliating death. Suffering on the cross for our sins. We were supposed to be punished. The condemnation was ours. We're supposed to be condemned. But why doesn't it come on us? Because the condemnation came on Christ instead. At the cross. He lowers Himself. Listen listen to Philippians chapter 2. Verse 5, Christ Jesus, listen, who though He was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made Himself, God Almighty, made Himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form as if that wasn't humbling enough, listen, he humbled Himself further. He humbled Himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. Even death on a cross. Think about 2 Corinthians 8 9. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. That though He was rich. Transcendent glory of God. He is rich beyond measure. He became poor. So that you through His poverty might become Rich, seated with princes, seated with the princes of his people. And this is what God has done for anybody here that's in Christ Jesus. He has cared for the spiritually poor and needy. He's laid down his life for us. Now, let me say, let me kind of begin to close out by saying this. Verse seven through nine. Look look at it. Verse 7 through 9. It's actually a specific kind of concern. We think about the poor and needy. It's a specific kind of concern. That God has right here. And it's for the barren. It's for those struggling with infertility. It's for the barren here. I want you to hear this. Think about how amazing that is. Before, Before I even prove that to you. Just think about how amazing that is. The transcendent. God of glory gazes upon the earth. And as he looks upon the poor needy, he has a special place in his heart, a special gaze towards the barren, towards those struggling with infertility. And I'm not just saying that just because of verse nine, verse seven through eight that we just read begins. He raises the poor out of the dust is actually a direct quote from the story of Hannah. It's a direct quote. So, if you read the story of Hannah in 1 Samuel chapter 1 and chapter 2, listen to 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 8. As Hannah was met by God and she begins to praise God, listen, the exact same words. Verse 8. He raises the poor from the dust, lifts the beggar from the ashes, to set them among princes. Same exact phrase. So, here's what you have a direct quote in verse 7 through 8. From the life of Hannah, who is a woman who is barren, a woman who struggled with infertility. There she is. And then in the next verse, in verse nine, we see a description of her life. In Psalm one thirteen, verse nine, we see a description of her life. He grants the barren woman a home, like a joyful mother of children. Turn with me to look at go go to First Samuel. Before. First Samuel chapter one. I want you to look at her story for just a second. Here's a few things I want you to see. Hannah had a husband named Cana. And Hannah was buried. Hannah struggled with infertility. She was struggling here. Look at verse 5. But to Hannah he, that's her husband, would give a double portion, for he loved Hannah, although the Lord had closed her womb. Listen to that. The Lord, sovereign, God of transcendent glory, that God closed her woman. Even just in that phrase, I can trust Him. I can trust the God that controls that. I can trust the God who did that. He, he, it, it hurts to me. It hurt, it hurt to Hannah. And yet it says, God did it. But I know that God means me good, right? So what it says in the Romans chapter 8. All things work together for the good of those who love God. Those who are called according to His purpose. God does all things for our good that are in Christ Jesus. The Lord had closed her womb. And look at her brokenness. Many verses you can look at, maybe verse seven here. So it was year by year when she went up to the house of the Lord that she would provoke that she provoked her. Therefore she wept and did not eat. Verse ten, and she was in bitterness of soul and prayed to the Lord and wept in anguish. So here she is, desperate, and she's weeping before God. This is her story, and it says the Lord God looks upon her. Look at verse twenty-seven. God looks upon her, grants her a child. Verse 27 says, for this child, Hannah cries out, for this child, I prayed. And the Lord has granted me my petition, which I asked of him. Therefore, I also have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he shall be led to the Lord. So they worshiped the Lord there. And I want you to listen to Hannah's prayer of worship. Listen to her worship. And Hannah prayed. Hannah prayed and said, my heart rejoices in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. I smile at my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. No one is holy like the Lord. For there is none besides you. Nor is there any rock like our God. Nor is there any rock like our God? I think that God wants to take every person in a desperate situation or a desperate heart, a place of desperation and wants to bring them to this place of worship. My heart rejoices in God. No one's holy like my God. There's none beside you. I believe he wants to bring every single person and then there's a special place in the heart. According to Psalm 113, this special place in the heart for those that are buried. And he said, I'm going to bring you to this place of worship. I'm going to bring you here. And Psalm 113 shows us how to get there. He calls you into it in the first three verses. He says, Praise God. O servants of the Lord, praise the Lord. Bless the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. And he says, praise Him because He is high above the heavens. He's the glorious one, creator, possessor of the heavens and the earth. And He reaches down His hand to the poor and needy and lifts them out of the ashes. Therefore, praise Him. So He tells you how to do it. He lifts up your eyes to see His glory and focuses your eyes in to see His grace and His mercy. So anybody here, ladies here, ones that I know and ones that I don't know, they're dealing with barrenness. I want this to encourage you. I want you to see this and be encouraged. Here's what I can't promise you. I can't promise you that God wants to, wants to show his glory to you in the exact same way that he showed it to Hannah. By giving our child a woman. I can't promise that to you. But here's what I can promise you that when our transcendent God looks down on planet earth and reaches out his hand to the poor and needy, there's a place, a special place. What's mentioned in this song, for the barren woman? It's there. God weeps with it. The transcendent one weeps with those who weep. And I want that to be an encouragement to you. Let me finish with that last phrase. Just close with the last phrase. It says here. Praise the Lord. That's how it ends. Praise the Lord. Let that be a summary statement. Praise God because everything we just saw about it. Psalm 113. We're leaned over Psalm 113. Praise God for these things. Praise Him. And also an application. Give Him praise. Here's your application. Give Him praise from the heart. From your affections, give God praise. Give Him worship. With your mouth, give God praise. Bless the Lord at all times. Let His praise continually be upon your lips. Bless the Lord. Praise God from this time forth and forevermore. Praise God. Worship God. This is an application. With your actions, praise God. With your actions, spreading His glory, His praise from the rising of the sun to the setting of the same. Worship God. Praise God. Spread His worship. And listen, as we do that, as we worship our God, which means we're seeing Him for who He is. And we're hearts ablaze worshiping His holy name. As that happens, guess what happens to us? We become more and more and more like Him. Second Corinthians 3.18 Beholding, as in a mirror, beholding the glory of the Lord. And being transformed into the same image. From one degree of glory to another. So does God give Himself for the poor and needy? Does He do things like that? Absolutely. So we get conformed into the same image. Let's pray. Father, thank You. Thank You for Your Word, God. Thank You for truth. God, thank you that you are so, so, so good, Lord. So glorious. God, we know that we will never be able to contain how beautiful and amazing you are. We know that. But God, I pray that you would grow us closer and closer and closer. Help us to behold your majesty. God, help us to see your heart for the poor and needy. God, help us to worship You. Help us to praise You. Let us be a people full of true worship, God. Hearts ablaze for You. God, thank You that You are this God. God, I want to lift up a request to You, Lord, that You would take those in this room specifically that struggle with infertility, God, the very one pray for them, God. I pray that they would set their hope in you. I pray, Lord, that you would be their treasure and their joy and their strong tower. God, I pray you'd be all those things to them, Lord. God, I pray that you would draw near to them, God, and help them to see your heart, even in the song, God, even in their life personally, help them to see your heart, God, that you reach down and bore up the poor and need out of the ashes. And God, I pray for all who are Maybe be in desperation in this room. I pray that you help them to see that you, the God of majesty, are the one who weeps with them. God help them to see. Help us all to see, the Lord. Lord, thank you that ultimately, Lord, we <laughs> we could have all our needs, all our earthly needs met, and yet go to hell forever and mean nothing. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you came. That you humbled yourself, not even just to becoming a man, but even to die in a humiliating death for us. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, God, for your salvation. Thank you for forgiveness. Thank you for loving us, Lord. Thank you for saving our souls. And God, if there's any here that don't know you in that way, Lord, I pray that you would open their eyes, Lord. Open their eyes, Lord. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Uh, I forgot to mention, let me mention this real quick After we sing this song to the Lord and After we sing this song to the Lord uh, We're going to gather up here And Dustin already said something about it We're going to gather up here and pray for the Reagans uh, Who are going to be leaving us And not be with, not with us anymore So uh, this is our chance to get around them So uh, I would ask you, if you guys that know them to Stick around and do that, okay?